Welcome to the Connect for Community podcast. Today, I'll be your host. I'm Kayla Borden. And today's guest, we have Mitchell Borden, my cousin, my brother. Welcome to the, the podcast, Mitch. Thank you um, for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, before we get into the questions, I just wanted to make a land acknowledgement. So I would like to acknowledge that we are in Mi'kmaq, the ancestral and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. This land is bound by the spirit and intent of the peace and friendship treaties signed between the British Crown and the Mi'kmaq people. We are all treaty people. We also recognize the histories, contributions, and legacies of the African Nova Scotian people who have been here for over 400 years. So today we're here to actually talk about uh, your line of work. What inspired you to get into the line of work that you do as a residential um, support worker? Uh, where I grew up in the North End, Dartmouth. Before, before that, I lived in Port Hawkesbury and Cape Breton in uh, all white town. Uh, and my family was like the only black family there at the time. So like, I kind of feel like my upbringing kind of brought me to uh, the realization that I was kind of destined to be um, in some sort of work with child and youth. So um, as a young as a young boy, as a young teen, I uh, worked in uh, day camps uh, for Parks and Recreation in the North End Dartmouth. And later on in my later teens, I uh, ended up being the, the youth coordinator for Dartmouth North Community Center. And uh, during that time, I ended up doing end up doing a position called uh, at the time they called it inclusion staff, which was basically a staff. Uh, member that would work solely with student with, with um, kids that had disabilities. Um, I remember like that was my first time working with kids that had uh, physical disabilities, as well as some uh, some mental health um, underlying mental health. So I really enjoyed it. To be honest, like I loved it. I loved um, uh, every day having to, like um, creating different programs for for the for the kids because they couldn't, they obviously we had to make sure they were included in everything that the other, the other kids were doing. So I, I thought that was like, it was challenging at, at times, but it was, it was a lot of fun uh, figuring out ways to get around that so that just that the kids uh, didn't feel like they were any different than the other children. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that piece. And then as I um, got old, got older, I still like kept um, working with, um, with kids and youth, I worked with kids at the YMCA doing a Y, what the, why I forget the name of the program, but it was for the YMCA. It was after school um, program and after school, after school and lunch program. And I also did Excel for, for the school board. And later on, I ended up getting the, the position as a student support worker and then Later on after that, I ended up getting a position working at um, some group homes. The first group home I worked at was a company called Homebridge. And I worked at their center, the Reallen Center, that was next to the, the, Dartmouth, the Dartmouth Front Campus, NSCC campus, right beside there. And that was when I kind of got into working with um, being a support worker for a wide range of, of uh, kids coming into the system with a lot of different uh coming with a lot of different things that they had gone through so i started to see see a lot of things that were happening in the world through 
these kids' eyes, right? And what was happening out there with a lot of kids that um, you wouldn't really hear hear about unless they told you, right? So I kind of dived into dived into that that kind of line of work and realized that I was somebody that could uh, help, I guess. Um, so that kind of segues into our second question. So 21% of youth between the ages of 15 and 24 in Nova Scotia live with um, some type of disability. For those working age Nova Scotians, the number is even higher at 29%. So what are the age groups that you work with and what are some of the challenges that individuals face? Uh, well, I work with right now for the school I, the school board, I work with um, middle school, uh, grade six to nine, and with uh, high school, uh, grade 10 to 12. So basically six to, grade six to 12. And um, with the group homes that I work at, it'll be ranged from age 19 all the way up to age 38. Uh, a lot of the challenges, I'll speak to like the school first. A lot of the challenges that I see uh, the, the young black men and women um, coming into the school face is, um, you wouldn't like, a, honestly, I would say identity being black. You know what I mean? Not, I wouldn't say like, they obviously can see their skin and they know that they're black, you know what I mean? But I, I just mean, they struggle with owning that, owning owning who they are, especially where I work I work at, because um, I'm we're like in the Bedford area and they look around and they only see themselves as a black person in that class. Everyone else is, you know, it's predominantly white, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times they kind of just go along to get along and, and with doing that, they try to like hide who they are, if that makes any sense. So I find I I feel like the, the, a lot a lot of the students I deal with struggle with that. So a big part of my job is to help them uh, find uh, the love for for who they are. And a lot like I said, a lot of times I use my experience um, from that from especially the time when I lived in Broxbury, and uh, my family was the only black family in the town at the time. Right, so I struggled with that myself. Uh, so I use that experience to help to when I'm speaking to my students. Um, also, there's a lot of, like like racism is very alive and well, in, as you might know, yeah. here in Nova Scotia. And that's a lot of uh, the black students that I deal with, they deal with that a lot. And that's probably mainly, mainly one of the main reasons why they have a hard time. I shouldn't say identifying who they are, but like accepting, mm-hmm. right? Because it's easier for them just to go, go along, get along with the... Um, the other groups of children, right? Just try to keep the light off themselves. So like I said, I try to like help that, help them with that and just kind of like, you know, put the light on them and like doing certain activities, especially during African Heritage Month. You know, we get to showcase the, our black excellence. You know what I mean? I get students doing spoken word pieces and, you know, doing their poems and um, singing, singing songs and whatnot. This year was really good for that because of, of COVID. I know it's funny, good came, good came out of COVID. Uh, we did a pre uh, pre recorded uh, assembly at the school because a lot of times it's, we do it live on stage and it's hard to find students that are uh, not shy to get up there, right? Mm-hmm. But this year we pre recorded it, so they we recorded just them, right? Just just they recorded just me and them, and then we put it all together and they put it in, in a video and they got to showcase all the black excellence in the school from the students. So those types of things I find uh, uh, give the the students a lot of pride. And who they are, uh, what the the rooms that I have at the schools, it's their space that they can come to, mm-hmm. and 
when they come into the room, they're able to be themselves and they're able to talk about um, black excellence. They're, they're black excellence. They're able to talk about who they are and, uh, and their black community and own that around the other black students that are in the, in the room with them. And it really starts, it really shines. It really comes out, right? Mm-hmm. Embracing, so, celebrating their culture because exactly. they're with other um, other youth, other kids that are around them that looks like them. The biggest part of the battle is is just the kids uh, have a hard time being out there in the, in the student body and being themselves, being who they are, because they don't see themselves out in the student body. But yeah, that's that's what, that's what I a lot of support that I do for the school. I also like to I also. Uh, for the high school level, like to introduce the students into different careers that they could see themselves in, because uh, that, that stigma about black people aren't smart enough, right? It, we try to get away from that and like let the, let the black students know that they can do everything, yeah. like literally everything that anyone else out there is doing, any career that they can think of, they should be able to see themselves in that. Doing yeah. anything that anything they put their mind to. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And try to introduce them to like people in those black people in those fields so they can see themselves in, uh, in those fields right so like that's basically basically what i do at the, at the schools uh with the group homes it's uh more of like uh um, a home setting and basically trying to integrate uh those stu- uh, those kids uh, and those men men and women um back like out into the community right and so like a lot of times we're doing activities with them, like taking them out, you know, to like, um, whether it be the mall, you know what I mean, to walk around and uh, let them interact with, with um, people. Um, basically, like they go to the stores, let them buy their own things, they get allowances, right? So they get to go and um, spend that money when it comes in. Uh, sometimes like, like they don't really work for the money, they get those allowances. But there's things that they need to do around the house and stuff like that, and uh, they can earn extra money through like uh, um, this this thing like they, we uh, call it P50. So so that they're able to um, do extra stuff around the house um, to earn more money. We try to get them to do things around the house and around the property that um, shows. That they can take care of themselves, right? So if they're they're taking showers on time, and we don't have to remind them, you know what I mean? If they're doing their laundry um, on time and without without reminders, you know what I mean? If they're taking out the trash, if they're you know they're um, uh, offering to cook supper, you know what I mean? They want to cook supper, things like that, right? So those are important things that we like to see them do, and we support them in that, right? And, we are like a lot of times it's uh we're suggesting that they do things right but like over time like if you know they'll sometimes they'll, they'll say no and we leave it at that right so over time we hope that they it, it builds up like some confidence in themselves that they can do these things um even though we help them a lot with it right and, and that's like that's one group home i work because there's different group homes for different reasons right the other group home i work at it, it is more it's, uh, the, the disabilities are different, I would just say that. So like, at one of the group homes I work at, there's a, there's some personal care or they can't um, fully take care of themselves when it comes to bathing and clothing and things like that. So there's a lot of support in that. But then there's also group homes where 
they can do everything for themselves, but they're they just are not able. They have to be monitored. Group homes like that are is just basically being there to support them when they need it. You know what I mean? Like supper time. You know what I mean? It's not like I would cook supper for for them. You know what I mean? If they want, if they need to go to an appointment, they had a appointment at a bank or they had an appointment, a uh, doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment. We would you know um, accompany them accompany them with, to to these appointments to be their advocate because they ha they can't really be advocate for themselves. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I think my understanding is that you know the differentiation is like by age and like by needs. It seems like. Uh, mostly it'd be different. I think it would be by more or less like, yeah, about age, yeah, age and needs. I guess the companies, uh, you can have a company that has like homes for kids, but they also have homes for teenagers and adults. But like, depend on the company, what they like, um, the group homes I talk about where there's personal care, uh, name for it, it's called like a second option home. Okay. Right. So it's basically like, if you ever remember being in high school and, students that were in a learning center that had an EPA as they get when they get graduate from high school you know people always wonder where do they go and you know, what are they doing I wonder what they're up to and stuff like that right a lot of them end up in like you know a second option home because parents you know like when we grew up you know we got jobs and moved out of our, out of our parents house students like that st uh, students that, that are um, that are you know have disabilities and whatnot they would wouldn't necessarily get a job and move out mm -hmm. so the parent they, they can be done like a list and the parents can um put them on this on this list to be to be eligible to get to be um put in a, a second option home right okay. where they would go into this home like i said and their it's their home they live there right but we're there to support them and those kind of like apartments or like homes with like rooms in it I think it depends on the company. The ones that I, the one I'm at is they're they're actually homes, like houses, like three bedroom houses. Okay. Right. So like mm -hmm. the group homes that I work at, there's like like only like three rooms, so three residents at each one. So it's like you know like it's a normal home. They like you know they have their own bedroom. They have uh, uh, you know a living room. They have like uh, entertainment room downstairs. You know <laughs> you know what I mean. Like in the summertime, they have like they have decks. You know, we go and we barbecue. On the weekends, they're allowed to go. They, they can request to go home and see their mom, make make plans with their, with their parents, and they go home for the weekend. Just like you know, like say me or you would like go go home and see our our, our parents for the weekend. Okay. And you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, yeah. So that's what a second option was basically, and that's why I said about trying to integrate them back like into the community. Some of these some of these residents they have. Um, jobs, you know, they work at Sobeys. You would see them working at Sobeys and stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when they go home, they're going home to a, a second option home. That the second option home sounds really, you know, uh, it's really personal. Given uh, those people, their independence is very important. And that kind of, I feel like, segues into the next question, which is, can you share with the audience one or two significant takeaways from the work you do? that has impacted your personal life in a positive way? We're in these jobs, we're in these jobs, and a lot of times people think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm helping this person, you know what I mean? I'm in this job I'm to, to help them and this and that, right? But really, like, these jobs that we're in, working with working with residents, working with students, I don't take it, I don't make it, I don't see it as I am helping them, you know what I mean? They're I'm basically supporting them to help themselves. 
know what I mean? That's even with the students, right? And that, and in doing that, a lot of times I'm I I learn from them. I learn a lot about myself. I think of my experiences when I'm supporting them. That alone it, it, it's teaching me uh, to self reflect. I self reflect a lot because of the job I'm at, the job I work at. When I'm working with students in the school and I'm talking to these students about what's going on in their lives and in their high school in their high school career or their middle school career, a lot of times I'm looking back at my own from when not the time when I was young in school and the things I went through because I look at them and I'm like, oh man, that like I, I know what that's like. I've been there, I've done this, and I'm reflecting about my life. And when I'm talking to them, I'm preaching to them about things. It's almost like I'm preaching to myself. So I keep, it kind of keeps you humble. It's a, it's a give and take um, type of uh, relationship. A lot of people don't don't see it that, that way when like they're working and like as a staff member in the schools and stuff like that. They're like they go to work and they're there to give, 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 give to the student. But um, when you really sit down and think about it, it's a give and take scenario because kids are so smart. And when you're having conversations with anybody, back and forth conversations, you're, it's not just you taking stuff from it because you got to listen to what the students and the residents are saying. That's a big part of my job is, is listening. And that's not something that you're born with. People aren't just born with like the, the skill of listening. That's, that's something you got to practice. You have to, to sit there and actually hear what somebody's saying and without interrupting or without thinking of um, your own values and beliefs. You, you know what I mean? When they're telling you about theirs and dismissing what they're saying is you have to sit there and be in the moment and hear what they're saying and forget about everything that you feel and just listen. That's that's a that's a skill that takes takes time and takes um, a lot of years to learn. And I learned it through working with people. Active listening. Yes, active listening. Yeah. Is the is the I feel like it's the proper term from it. I feel like I've been hearing a lot of that in some of the uh, training sessions that we've been providing here at the NSCDA. We have they're called mindset or they're called advanced communications for a growth mindset. This is the second round that we've, we've done for this um, year that has come up a lot with me just attending her sessions and just like in my own personal life and being here at the NSCDA working with multiple people. I hear what you're saying. So I'm just going to jump to the next question that I have here for you. I know the provincial government is working on the need to improve the access to resources, support, and living conditions of those Nova Scotians living with disabilities. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about the supports that are currently out there for students and or adults with, de with developmental disabilities that you know of, and have they been effective? The programs that they have out there usually involves like money the, the money they're using is usually involved like in training people to deliver certain programs that can benefit uh, these, uh, these individuals right some of the programs they have like for like example uh, one of the companies that work at they have uh, this program where the residents get dropped off every day and they do things around like community work where they go into the community, they're sort of like in the summertime, they're uh, mowing lawns, make learning how to make soaps and mixing them and cutting them and packaging them, right? And then they uh, go to flea market, these flea markets and stuff, and sell them, or they sell them like online and whatnot. So 
um, programs like that um, I find are helpful in like the group home, other group homes. I feel like the money is should be put towards pro, uh, programs like that, um, like programs for like you know career uh, careers, you know, I mean career choices and getting them out to to um, different um, career expos and exposing them to like you know um, resume building and stuff like that. What needs to be done to improve the support that currently exists? both from the government and in community level for both roles that you play. Money is uh, a big motivator. It's huge, right? Without the proper funds, none of, none of these programs would happen. So definitely the government needs to throw more money into these programs um, and see the importance of it, you know what I mean? Because really, ideally, there should be, a, there should, like every support worker should be at one school full-time you know what I mean support in one school full-time because you know when I'm gone from one school to the next my students at that at the other school are missing me they're they, you know what I mean they're they, they're needing me and I and like a lot of times I have to juggle I got to leave the school I'm at because there's something going on down at the other school and the student needs me and I don't want to leave them hanging so like yeah definitely like if there was that they had the, the funds they would be able to hire more support workers and for like the group home situation same like same thing they should they need like the money needs to be there to open up more group homes uh, um, more second option homes uh, you know what i mean because uh there's a long list of people waiting to get to get to get a, a bed in these homes long list but there's no room right there's no there's not enough of them right so definitely money is a big factor and also like you know a lot of times like the pay people are they're uh, the pay that people are getting paid for like these these jobs you know what i mean aren't always like the most the most uh, exponential so like a lot of times people work at these jobs are working more than one job they're, they're working like two or three jobs like myself right so that takes kind of like uh the um the burnout rate is probably higher than it should be we're getting to the end of uh this uh, episode what is some advice that you give to individuals that uh are looking to get into this uh field of work i would just say don't come in this field looking to make a lot of money. Come in, come into this field looking to be part of, be part of the change in someone's life. Being part of someone else, someone else's journey. If you're someone that cares about people and you care about the, the, the journey that people are walking, you know what I mean? You want to be a part of that and to, you know, help when you can, uh, learn from th this field, right? And to be and be uh, end up being, you know, be a better person. You know what I mean? Because like these jobs humble people. You know what I mean? Um, so I would say, yeah, if you're coming into it, don't don't do it for like the wrong reason. You know what I mean? Because you'll get burnt out quick. And you know what I mean? You'll you'll quit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, come into it with a with an open mind. Come into it knowing that not every day is going to be peachy. You know what I mean? And that the struggle um, is all part of the journey. You know what I mean? And, and uh, uh, you just got to come in with an open heart and, and like just, you know, want to help, want to be a part of part of um, someone's journey, helping them along the way. Right. So. Yeah. And I, I want to add to a piece there is take care of yourself. You need to take care of yourself 
while you're taking care of others. Because if you don't take care of yourself, where does that allow you to take care of others? I want to thank you so much um, for joining us today. I'm going to let you get back to your students because they're probably somewhere wondering where you're at. Um, Right? (laughs) All right. See you later. Thank you. Thank you.